Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Man, what a great day to be able to come together, not just because it's not raining outside, woohoo, but also because we get to get, get, come together and worship and honor the Lord and spend time in His Word as we study together. And I do want to take a moment just to welcome those who are here today who are first-time guests. It's great to have you with us today. We hope that you feel right at home. Uh, my name is Jay. My wife, Stacy, and I are the lead pastors here at Journey, and it's an honor and privilege to have you today as our guest. I want to ask you if you'd do a favor for me. If you would take out one of those Connect cards, they're right there in the seat pocket in front of you. There's a pen there as well, and if you'd fill that card out uh, after services over here in a little bit, on your way out, stop at the Welcome Center in the foyer and give that card to the workers there, and they want to put a gift in your hands, just a very simple way that we can show you and tell you how much we appreciate you for coming to be a part of our services today. It truly is an honor and privilege to have you as our guest. And then also, I, I want to take a moment to, uh, to just kind of honor some people. If you are here today and you serve on one of our serve teams, if you would take a moment, stand to your feet real quick. If you're part of one of the serve teams, ushers, children's church, greeters, welcome center, coffee shop, all these other areas, let's give them a great big hand clap. They do a tremendous job. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, I want to take a moment to personally invite you to come out to be a part of our serve team Christmas party this Wednesday night. If you have actively served on one of the serve teams in 2018, then this Wednesday night is not a night that you want to miss. We're going to have a great time, and what we need for you to RSVP, you can either follow the link in your bulletin uh, to, to RSVP for the event this Wednesday night, or you can go by the Welcome Center, and they will take your RSVP there in person. But thank you so much for all that you do uh, for the weekend services to make all this come together because this is a lot of work and it takes so much from people greeting and working in kids church and every area coming together to make Jesus shine. Now while we're in the mood to clap our hands I wonder if we could take a moment to welcome those who are joining us online. Can we put our hands together and give them a great big hand clap as well. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to have a great time as we continue in the year of the Bible. Now, here is where we are. If you're a guest here today, uh, as a church, we have been studying throughout the entire Bible. We have been reading through the Bible as well. And our brand new reading plans come out today. Uh, you can pick them up on your way out of church. They, I think the graphic for them is probably one of the coolest graphics I've ever seen. But this is our last month for our reading plan. We've taken this entire year, devoted it to the Bible. We actually call it the year of the Bible. And on Sunday mornings, we've been studying through different aspects of the Bible. And today, as we get ready to jump off into the message, I had a thought because some weeks back, I was at the house on a Saturday getting some chores done, knocking out that honeydew list, and I was not having a good day. It was one of those days where it's like everything you do, it kind of works against you. Anybody else ever had a day like that? You go to do a job, and it breaks whatever you're working on, then you fix that, and it breaks again. Or you go to a job and the tools that you need to finish that job, they're over at Tyler's house because he borrowed them for something else. <sighs> and I was getting increasingly frustrated and I was leaving out to go run an errand and they said, hey, listen, on your way out, check the mail and uh, there's something I've been waiting on. If it's in the mail, bring it to me. And I said, okay. And so went to leave already frustrated a few minutes later, came in the house, and I told Stacey, I said, hey, I checked the mail. I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? She said, well, what's the good news? I said, well, your mail came in today. She's like, woo -hoo. 
handed it to her. She's all excited. She said, what's the bad news? I said, on the way out, I backed over the mailbox and destroyed it. Who just? (laughs) Some little kid laughing his head off. That's awesome. Well, it's just one of those days. Let me ask you this. How many of you in here are that when it comes to good news and bad news, you want the good news first? How many of y'all want the bad news first? Okay. I'm that way because I want the bad news so I can have the good news afterwards and it kind of, but here's the thing. No matter how I did this one, backing over our mailbox and destroying it, it was not a good thing at all. Okay. It was a bad thing and uh, I was, it added to my frustration. But people do that. We're like, you want the good news or the bad news? I got a little bit of each. Well, today as we continue in the year of the Bible, we're are actually this next week we're going to be reading in the book of Revelation. A lot of people love to read in the book of Revelation. They say, you know what? Uh, I, I want to get closer to God. I want to get a better understanding of the Word, so I'm going to read the book of Revelation. And then they read like a day or two, and they're like, I'm out. Because... It, there's a lot of symbolism in the book. There's a lot to you know, take in and understand. And uh, today we are going to kind of delve off into the book of Revelation. We're going to stay in one particular part. But I would encourage you as we go through the month of December and uh, we read through the book of Revelation, read through it. If you have a good study guide to go with that, uh, go through all the footnotes and stuff and see some of the different translations of stuff to help you gain an understanding. Because a lot of people say, well, what, what is up with the book of Revelation? I know it's about the end times, but it's broken up into specific segments. One part of it deals with the church. One part of it deals, actually the largest part of it deals with the seven years of tribulation. Towards the end of it, you see eternity, you see the return of Christ, all these different things. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, we are not, during the month of December, we're not going to do a series on the end times, okay? It, it wouldn't be very Christmassy, uh, you know, talking about the four horsemen and the, you know, seven years of tribulation. Oh, the Antichrist on Christmas Day. We're not going to talk about all that during the month of December. So I, I've done several series on the end times, on the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. But today, we're specifically going to take this one day to talk about one part where it deals with the church. Look at your neighbor and say, that means us. Because we are the church. When we choose to step into the family of God, we become a part of the church, the body of Christ. And so today what we're going to do, if you have your Bible, take it out, go to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at a particular passage of Scripture. And what I love about the book of Revelation, you talk about good news, bad news, is it is a book that is filled with, with some alarming news. When you start looking at the, the different parts of the Antichrist and the tribulation, you're like, oh man, that's bad news. But then it's also a book that's filled with tremendous good news as we look at what Jesus has to say to the church, we look at the return of Christ, we look at eternity, all these different things. So there's good news and bad news. And today we're going to deal with a specific portion of Scripture that, that deals with the church. Because what you may not realize is at the beginning of the book of Revelation, John, as he's exiled on this island called Patmos, he receives, as part of the revelation, Jesus has these messages for these local churches. There are seven churches that receive these messages in the region around modern-day Turkey. And these churches had tremendous influence. They had done a great work to build the kingdom of God. And uh, as he's giving these messages, some of them were good. There were some things that he had to say that were not so good. But what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on one particular church. 
we're going to focus on the church of Laodicea. And there's a reason for that, because Laodicea is actually, most theologians say that it actually is very similar to the the modern-day church here in America, uh, the westernized church. And as we get into reading this, you kind of see that some of the things that the Lord has to say to Laodicea, actually, they're a little harsh. And so we're going to read through several verses of Scripture here. If you don't have your Bible or your smart device with your Bible app, no worries. You can just follow along with us on the big screen. But let's look at verse 14, chapter 3 of Revelation, chapter, uh, verse 14. Here's the message. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Verse 16, it starts getting kind of some, into some of the depth. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Look at your neighbor and say, That's nasty. Verse 17, it goes on, it gets a little worse. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Here's the thing. What you begin to understand is he's telling them the things that you've put so much stock in in this world really are not all that. And what you need to be doing is investing in a relationship with me and growing in relationship with me. He's talking about the clothing there, the white clothes that's speaking of righteousness. He's talking about Sabbath, talking about uh, being able to be in the presence of God and to see his presence and, and, and all these things that we need to be investing our life in in relationship with Christ. Verse 19 Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, big word here, and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Speaks of relationship, speaks of fellowship. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne... Verse 22, listen to this. Whoever has ears, everybody reach up and feel. See, feel your ears. You got ears? Okay. Speaking to us, then whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, pay attention. Don't just be like, nah. Don't be like, well, this, this message is for old so-and-so over there. This message is for all of us. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm just going to ask you to be honest with yourself and be honest with God as we go through this message, because all of us, I don't care if we're a pastor, I don't care if we're a welder, a school teacher, I don't care if we're a student, wherever we are, if we are a part of the body of Christ, this message is for all of us. And it's one that we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to be honest with God. Now, here's the thing. You get into this, and you would say, well, why was this message so graphic? I mean, he's talking about spitting people out of his mouth, He's talking about being hot and cold, lukewarm, all these different things. What is the deal? Well, the Laodiceans knew exactly what he was talking about. As you get into this, first of all, understand that the the church that he was talking about was in the region of modern-day Turkey and was a very wealthy and affluent city and church. And during some portion of history, the church, the the city itself had been destroyed by an earthquake. How many of y'all saw the pictures 
uh, that happened in Alaska this past week. We saw roads buckle. We saw the different things that were destroyed from this earthquake. Well, there was an earthquake that had taken place in this region, and the city had had some devastation, had had some destruction, but they said, it's okay. We have the wealth to be able to rebuild, and bonus, we can rebuild the city exactly the way that we want. It's going to be a city that is going to be awesome. So they built a city with stadiums and amphitheaters. And I mean, it, it, was, it was a sight to behold. One of these great things. But here's the sad part. The saddest thing of all is the success that they had came at a price because they believed in God, but they forgot God. They put God on the back burner. They said, God, we, you know, you're important. We, we have relationship with you. We, we go through the motions of Christianity, but... We've gotten so caught up in all these other things that the world has to offer, sporting events and cultural events and all these things that take our time, and because of that, we have put you on the back burner. That's never a good thing. So you go down, look, let's look at verses 15 and 16 again. Uh, John writes here, he says, I know your deeds that you're neither cold nor hot. And I wish you there were one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that, there's just no way around it. That's very graphic. Why would Jesus talk in such a harsh way to this church, to this, this body of believers? And they knew exactly what he was saying. He had a point in saying this to them, talking about being lukewarm, because water in this area was a, a hot commodity. Some of the neighboring cities, uh, like their neighbors in Hierapolis, they actually had uh, hot springs with hot water that was at their disposal. The city of Colossae, they had pure water that they could drink. And because of the need that they had, the city of Laodicea, they constructed aqueducts. And those aqueducts would carry water into their city. If it came from Colossae, by the time it got to the city, it was no longer cold. It was lukewarm. If the water came from Hierapolis, by the time it left the source and got to Laodicea, it was no longer piping hot, it was now lukewarm. So this was a vivid illustration for them. They knew exactly what this would mean. And Jesus, as he's giving this message, basically he's saying, hey guys, you're not cold or hot, you're lukewarm, you're in the middle, and nobody wants that. In fact, think of it like this. How many of you in here love something that is absolutely lukewarm? Nobody. I thought about this later uh, in the first service because we're in the season where for Christmas time, a lot of times you have hot cocoa. How many of y'all like some hot cocoa? Uh, it's good. You put a little marshmallows on top of it, maybe a little bit of chocolate on top of it, stir it all up. You drink it. What's really cool is if you got the chocolate in the bottom of it and, and you can kind of take your spoon and eat that out of there. It's pretty cool. Or you go to the other end of the spectrum and whenever I was a kid growing up, if I was good in the evening time, my mom would let me get an ice-cold glass of milk. Y'all remember Nestle Quick? Yeah. Had the bunny on front of it. And you'd take it, you'd take the spoon, and you would spoon it over into the, into the milk, and stir it up. And if you were good, your mom would let you get an extra spoonful and stick it in, and you stir it all up. And then you drink it, and you get to the bottom. You always had that chocolate left in the bottom. You hold that glass, and you're trying to shake it down in your mouth. It, it was good because it was chocolate, but it was ice cold, right? How many of y'all would have liked that if it had been lukewarm? If it had been room temperature, you'd have been like, that is nasty. Because nobody wants chocolate milk that is lukewarm. Nobody wants hot cocoa that is lukewarm. It's either hot 
or it's cold and it's amazing. But in the middle, nobody wants that. And Jesus is trying to make an illustration here. Hey, guys, you used to be passionate for me. You used to have great relationship with me. You used to do amazing things for me. But you're not hot or cold anymore. You're, you're in the middle. You're not doing anything for me anymore. And nobody wants that. And so today, if we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with, with God, and we allow him to, to speak to our heart, because we, we talk about lukewarm, it's easy for all of us. I don't care who we are. It's easy for us, if we're not careful, to slip off into being lukewarm. We let the things of this world begin to take the place of that excitement and that passion for Christ. And it's hard not to look at Laodicea and think of America. That's why most theologians say that this church out of the seven churches that got messages from Christ, they say that this church, Laodicea, most closely resembles the church of modern-day America. And the reason why is because, honestly, it's not that hard to be a Christian in America. I, Pastor Jay, that's mean. No, it's just being honest with you. Even in, in our worst of times, even whenever things are really bad, around the world you see a lot more persecution, you see a lot more harsh living conditions. People basically... If they don't have a meal for a day, they don't know when their next meal is going to be, and they might starve to death. And in America, we put on the, the, the badge of Christianity, and it's easy with everything in this world pulling against us, trying to get our attention and our focus off of God. It is easy for us to slip into that place of being lukewarm, just going through the motions of Christianity, just having the appearance of Christianity. So what does lukewarmness look like? What causes it? And how do we fix it? That's what we want to talk about today. And the first thing that I want to do, i got two things that I want to share with you. Because as you look at this church here in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea, you see some symptoms that it caused lukewarmness to take place within the church, within individuals' lives. So what is it? What causes lukewarmness? Two things I want to share with you today. If you're taking notes, there's actually notes in your bulletin. Write these things down. And the first one is this. What causes lukewarmness? Too much success. That can be one. And, and here's how I know that that's a real deal. Go to verse 17. Jesus said this. Uh, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. In other words, you've been tremendously successful. But look at his response back to them. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Look at your neighbor and say, that's pretty rough. Now, those three words there that he shares with them, poor, blind, and naked, they held significance. And there's a reason why I look at this and say too much success because of those three words that he shared with them, poor, blind, and naked. The, the words that he spoke to them, poor, blind, and naked, speak directly to the success that they had as a city. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Jay? The region of Laodicea, it was known for a couple of key things economically. And one of those things that they were known for was banking, their monetary system, how they handled wealth. The next thing was uh, they had a, a, a medical school there. They were known for, for training in the medical field. And another thing was they were known for, and this is the coolest one to me of all, a fine black wool that they produced. And here's what took place. All these things had led to them being tremendously successful, extremely wealthy. And as a result, they had become very proud of these things. Let's face it, if you've got tremendous black wool that the world is wanting and the world is only produced uh, predominantly out of your region, you would be pretty proud about that, right? 
If you had a great handle on the medical field, you had a great handle on the banking system, you would take pride in that. Well, here's the problem. They became proud of this, and these things became idols to them. In other words, they took their eyes off of Jesus, and they put their eyes on their success and the the things that brought them their success. In other words, these things consume their life. And that's whenever it begins to become dangerous. Because look what Jesus says, verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see all of those things are talking about intimate relationship with Christ, uh, being in his presence, his righteousness over our life. That's exactly what that verse is talking about. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, you've invested your life in all these other things. That's fine. But those things have become idols in your life. You've allowed it to overtake your life. What you needed to have done was to have invested your life in me, Jesus. You needed to have invested your life in walking in my righteousness, in my ways, having my mindset, being in my presence continually. That is what is of utmost importance as we go through life. So too much success can actually be one of those things that can cause lukewarmness within our life. Now, here's the question then. Is success a bad thing? No. I like success. I want to be successful in my life. How many of you in here want to be successful in life? Okay. Nobody's going to be like, no, I don't want success. I'll run away from it. Okay. No, we want to be successful. And here's the cool part about being successful. A lot of times when we are successful, it brings influence. A lot of times when we're successful, it brings resources, sometimes in the line of money and things like that. And God allows those things within our life to be used to bring him glory and honor. And and that's one of the things that when we are successful, we are called as a church to be generous. We're called as a church to be ones who want to invest in other people. And so success in that way is a wonderful thing. In fact, honestly, I'm going to call over the next two weeks, I'm going to call on you based off the success in your life uh, to give into a project that we are working on. Last year, we, we saw this. Uh, we received as a church what we called a legacy offering. And in that legacy offering, what we did, we said we want to build a brand new care point down in Belize that will minister to kids and feed them and teach them all about Jesus. Well, some of you in this room have been down there. You've seen with your own eyes the care point that you built from the legacy offering. And that's a tremendous thing. The success that you have within your life, we as a church made a tremendous difference in Belize. Well, guess what? We're getting ready over the next two weeks to receive the the legacy offering for 2018. we got two projects we're very excited about that that we're going to invest in. The first one is Royal Family Kids Camp. Now, if you've never heard of Royal Family Kids Camp, let me tell you about this. In this community, we're going to take a group of foster children, and we're going to put them on a nice big charter bus, and we're going to take them to a camp. And as a church, we are going to host a summer camp for them. It's going to be one of the coolest things. You guys will have an opportunity to, to volunteer to be a part of this. But for us to do this, it takes financial resources. And so part of the offering, from we've already committed to it, but part of the legacy offering will go towards that. And then here's the next thing. When we were in Belize two weeks ago, we gave the green light, the thumbs up, uh, for them to go ahead and start uh, talking about the piece of property and purchasing a piece of property 
for us as a church to build the next care point, which is Port Loyola, to be able to feed and, and educate more children and teach them about Jesus. And so over the next two weeks, at the end of the service, we're going to receive that legacy offering, and all those proceeds will be going to Royal Family Kids Camp and uh, to Team Hope to help with the next care point. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the success that God brings into our life, it's a good thing whenever we're using it for God's glory and his honor. And so I would encourage you over the next week to two weeks, get together with your spouse, pray, see how the Lord would have you participate in this offering. Stacey and I always do this, and it's a stretch. It's over and above the tithe. It's something that we ask everybody who's a part of Journey Church to participate in. Some of you may give a dollar. Some of you may give $100. Some of you may give $100,000. Praise God, okay? But, but our success can be used to resource the kingdom to build God's kingdom. And so here's the thing. But too much success, and when we begin, begin to, to lean on that success and say, this is what it's all about, and that success begins to grab a hold of our life and dominate our life. And the next thing you know, it takes over our life. And that's all we can think about. And our life begins to be driven by the dollar, by power, by success. And that becomes what measures our life. Well, that's what we see here in the city of Laodicea within the church as well. And as a result, they begin to take their, their eyes off of Jesus. And we don't ever want that to happen. Look at your neighbor and say, that's bad. Here's the next thing. Uh, too much success, but also waning passion you say well what is that well here, here, here's here's the best way to help me re, help you understand what waning passion is and, and I do this within my life from time to time close your eyes everybody in this room close your eyes now I want you to think about when you gave your heart to Jesus you remember that moment when the Holy Spirit stirred within your heart and you realize that, that there was no hope for your life you were lost that based off where you are you would not spend eternity with God in heaven. The sin in your life had separated you from God. And then that moment where you realize Jesus went to the cross for me. He paid the price for my sins. And you chose to surrender your heart to Jesus, to, to give yourself to him, to let him be the Lord and master of your life. And in that moment, you were made brand new. New heart knew everything. You were a new person because of Jesus. Remember that? Now open your eyes and look at me. How did that feel in that moment? You remember that? You remember what it felt like? You were so excited. You know, woo! You're running around telling everybody about Jesus. You wanted to serve. You wanted to help. You wanted to give. You wanted, whatever I could do. Man, Jesus changed my life. And you were so excited about it. And if you're not careful over time, what happens, you go from here and that begins to wane down. And that's exactly what had happened here in, in this city, within this church. And, and as a result, you move forward in your relationship with Jesus, but you get complacent in your relationship with Jesus. And here's how that looks. The convictions that maybe the Holy Spirit placed within you and you're like, no, the Holy Spirit's convicted me in that area. I don't want that to be a part of my life. They begin to shift a little bit. They begin to change a little bit. You begin to justify them and say, you know what? That's not that big of a deal. I thought it was a big deal. The Holy Spirit, you know, he kind of convicted me in that area, but it's not really a big deal. You begin to change and shift. And if you don't watch it, what happens over time, you begin to, to maybe watch things that you didn't watch before. You put things into your eyes, put things into your heart that don't need to be there. You begin to say things that normally you wouldn't. 
and you justify those things. Ah, it's not really a big deal. And, and over time, what happens is you begin to slowly but surely do every, everything that everybody else is doing because of that passion for Christ that begins to wane over time. So what causes lukewarmness? Uh, too much success, waning passion. And we talk about waning passion. You think about the aqueduct in, uh, in Laodicea, just like the water that came from that hot or that pure source, the further it got away from the source, the more lukewarm it became. And in our walk with Jesus, the further we get away from God, the more lukewarm we become. And so how, how do we battle this? What, what, what do we do to overcome this? Because let's face it, all of us, I don't care who we are, every one of us have this battle that we face where the enemy comes and he tries to entice us and, and get our eyes and our affections away from God and to distract us and get us caught up where we be. Next thing you know, we look at our life and we're lukewarm. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna walk you through three things that we see here in this passage of Scripture that Jesus actually talked to them about overcoming lukewarmness. And I'm just going to ask you to be honest with yourself, with God, because I'm going to give you some time here in a few moments to respond to the Holy Spirit. And maybe within your life you say, there, there is some lukewarmness. There is some, some areas of my life where I need God to breathe life into me. And so here's the first one. If you're going to battle and overcome lukewarmness, then the first thing you've got to understand is you've got to understand that God corrects us because he loves us. Okay, you get that? God loves us. In fact, how do you know that, Pastor? Look at verse 19. Jesus said this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. What is Jesus telling us there? Well, he's trying to help us understand that I love you. He wouldn't have wrote this letter to the church at Laodicea if he didn't love them. He wouldn't have wrote this letter if he didn't love us, that he would know all these years later in America we'd be having the same struggles and same issues because it, it is across Christianity. He had not given up on the church at Laodicea. He didn't look at him and say, you know what, you guys have dropped the ball, I'm done with you. No, they, he knew that they had grown lukewarm. He didn't say, hey, I'm finished with you. He sent them a message to let them know, I haven't given up on you, and I want to bring correction to you so we can get your heart and your life back to where it needs to be. And Proverbs 12, 1 says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, Whoever hates correction, go ahead and put that scripture up there for me, guys. I want them to see this word. Proverbs 12, 1. There it is. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is what? Some little kids in here are like, oh, Pastor Jay said stupid. <laughs> but it's plain and simple. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction, you're just stupid. If you have somebody trying to speak what's best for your life into your life and you say, you know what, I don't want to hear that, then guess what? That's not too smart, right? And so all of us, well, I say all of us, a lot of us in this room have kids. Why do you discipline your kids? Because you love them. You know, whenever your kids step out of line, you love them, so you're going to bring correction to them to help them overcome whatever it is that needs to be corrected within their life. You correct them because you love them. So why would we not think that whenever God, we have something going on in our life, our heart kind of gets far from him, that he's just like, you know what, I'm done with you. No, what he does is he corrects us because he loves us. So here's where we are. Every one of us in this room, we got to search our heart. Are there some areas where I have grown lukewarm? Are there some areas in my life that, that, where I've, I've kind of put God on the back burner? Not really listening to him, not really paying attention. Then here's the next thing. 
I have to understand God corrects us because he loves us, but I also have to open my heart to Jesus. Look what he says. Read on verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. Now, when somebody comes to your door and they knock on your door, they ring the doorbell. What do you do? You you hide. (laughs) It's a burglar. (laughs) It's sad to say, but that's true. A lot of times in America now, when somebody rings the doorbell or knocks, we, we turn the lights off. We're like, hide, hide under the bed. <laughs> but y'all remember what it used to be like? I remember when I go to my grandma's house out in the country, somebody come knock on the door. It was like a party. It was like, we got company, woo You run to the door and you open it up, and it's an aunt or an uncle and cousins, and it's like, man, break out the, the cake and the coffee. We get to visit. It's going to be awesome. What happens whenever Jesus knocks on the door of our heart? We need to open the door of our heart to him and allow, hey, I've gotten lukewarm in some areas. Jesus, I know you're trying to deal with me. I know you're knocking. I need to open, open the door to my heart. I need to allow you to help me deal with these things, which brings us to the last thing. I open my door, my, the, my heart to Jesus, but I've got to reconnect with Jesus. Look what it says, verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In other words, I will fellowship with them. I will spend time with them. I will pour out my love in their life. And I think of it in this sense. The boys, our our boys, they're now adults. They're 23, they're 21, recently 20 in about a month. And when they were, were younger... We would have to get on them from time to time about cleaning their rooms. Because what happens is this. If you've got teenagers, if you've got kids, you realize that, that over time their room gets messy. Am I right? The boys, you go in there and they're like, oh, well, there's all the dishes that we've been looking for in the kitchen to eat dinner. And there's clothes everywhere and there's books on the floor and video game controllers and all this kind of stuff. And you know what? Whenever I'd walk in their room or Stacy would walk in the room, we'd see their room a mess. You know what we didn't one time say to those kids? We never walked in there and said, you know what? Your room is messy. We're done with you. Pack up and get out. <laughs> we might want that now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, not mama. <laughs> well, we, we never did that. We never said, your room's a mess. Get out. We're done with you. We walked in there and we said, you know what? Your room's a mess. We got a lot of work to do here. Let's get busy. Let's do something. And typically, you step in there and you begin to help. You pick up some books, put it on the shelf. Hey, fold up the comforter. Put it where it goes. Hey, let me help you. I'll take these dishes. While you're doing that, I'll take these dishes and I'll take them into the kitchen. You step in there and it goes so much better whenever you begin to help them and work with them to get that room back in order. What does Jesus do? He, he knocks at the door. He's knocking. And it's our responsibility to open the door. Jesus, come on in. And Jesus doesn't walk in and say, man, this place is a mess. You're gone. No, Jesus walks in and says, we got some work to do. He walks in and he says, here, while you're doing this, I'm going to pick up these dishes. Let's put things back in order. Let's get things where they belong. Let's bring order and healing and direction to your life. There's some things here you need to repent of. 
There's some sin here. We, we need to deal with that. We can't allow, can't allow that just to stay there. But let's get the house back in order. Today, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a few moments. And it's time for us to get the house, our lives, back in order. Father, we love you so much. You are so good to us. Thank you for your presence here with us today. And Holy Spirit, thank you for pouring out your love over our lives. Thank you for bringing conviction in the way that you do. Thank you for helping us get the house in order. Now, in this room today, with every eye closed, every head bowed, there's some of you in here, you do not know Jesus. You have never surrendered your heart to Christ. You might be going through the... the what looks like Christianity, just going to church from time to time, trying to be a good person. But I'm telling you, Jesus did not come to this earth and go to the cross. He did not walk out of that grave three days later just so you could have the appearance of Christianity. He came to this earth so that your life could be changed, so that you could experience his forgiveness and his love, so that you could experience what relationship with him is like. And it is found in surrender. Today, will you surrender your life to Jesus? There's others of you in this room who would say, well, pastor, I, I need to renew my commitment to Christ. Man, life has gotten so messy that, that I put God on the back burner. I had a relationship with him. I used to be so passionate for him, but I put him on the back burner. And Man, I need to repent and get my heart right with God all over again. Wherever you are in this room, if that's you, and that's your heart's cry, to know Jesus in relationship and to surrender your life to him. And pray something like this right where you are. Say something like, Jesus, thank you so much for loving me the way that you do, that you would come to this earth and go to the cross for me. And Jesus, you took my sins. You took my place on that cross. And three days later, you walked out of that grave fully alive. And that same resurrection power can be in my life today as well. Jesus, I receive by faith what you did for me at the cross. And Jesus, I admit to you, I, I'm a sinner. And today I repent for the sins in my life. I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, through your precious blood today, clean my heart. Make me brand new. Set in order the things in my life that need to be set in order. Because Jesus, I surrender. I give you everything that I am. And today I ask you to be my Savior. But Jesus, today I confess you as the Lord and Master of my life. And I thank you so much for allowing me to step into your family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.